Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a very special, exclusive, behind-the-scenes look at the most advanced, high-tech tennis analytics platform that has ever been developed. It is called Tennis IQ, and is and it has recently been made available to every player on the ATP Tour and every coach on the ATP Tour, so they can use this platform to inform their game planning, their training, their post-match analysis, and their scouting. Again, we are going to be taking a look at this platform. I'm very excited to show this to everybody. To the best of my knowledge, it is the first time that this Tennis IQ platform is being shown to the public. This is an exclusive look. I am going to be bringing on two guests that are very close to the project and that can help us uh, look through this stuff and learn more about this. It's going to be a discussion split into two sections. The first part is going to be sort of a demonstration of the technology. And the second part is going to be more of an open conversation where we will discuss Tennis IQ big picture. So without further ado, we'll get this going and I'll get you introduced to our guests on this week's Monday Match Analysis. It's a pleasure to be joined by James Marcelek and Tom Corey. James is the Senior Manager for Strategic Projects and Event Operations at the ATP Tour. Tom is Head of Performance, Media, and Broadcast at Tennis Viz. And guys, uh, I'm so excited to bring the people knowledge of Tennis IQ and Tennis Insights in the fullest capacity we can. I appreciate you guys coming on here to do that. And uh, I want to start by by kind of going over what your roles are in all of this. I said your job titles, but but James, maybe we can start with you. What what is your role within this uh, this whole tennis IQ thing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, so yeah, I've been at the ATP for five years. I work across a range of projects uh, across the tour division, so dealing predominantly with members. And one of my responsibilities is kind of developing the performance side of things for our for our players. Um, you know, historically, there wasn't too much access to data. It wasn't readily available with the technological advancements we have done over the past, you know, 18 months or even two, three years. We've kind of have the capabilities to be able to leverage that data and kind of visualize it for our players. And obviously working with closely with Tom here with Tennis Data Innovations or TDIs, we'll refer to them throughout the podcast. You know, we'll be, uh, yeah, we've been working really hard over the past, I guess, three to five months to kind of, yeah, really elevate what we what we deliver to our players and that's where we you know kind of ended up at tennis iq and yeah looking looking forward to discussing that with you today tom right yeah so thanks for having us on gil yeah my name's tom and i uh as you said on the job title uh one of the lead guys in tennis first and we work very closely with tennis data innovations to develop the new insights so i'm a um ex-coach i've been in this world for a couple of years i coached ever since college and then my role is bringing, uh, along with other members of our team, I'm not the only one, but bringing some tennis experience uh, with the tech development team we have to build platforms that are best in class for uh, both players and coaches, but also we work in the broadcast space and the media space. Um, some of our data is used on the ATP World Feed and and has been used at some other big tournaments. Um, Yes, yeah, so that's what I do. So I, I'm I'm one of the tennis brains behind the platform that I'm going to show you, basically. So last September, uh, this press release got my attention. It was the day Tennis IQ launched. I'm going to read it. it. Said ATP and Tennis Data Innovations TDI have announced the launch of Tennis IQ, a brand new performance analytics platform that democratizes access to cutting edge data and insights for players on the ATP tour. Tennis IQ gives ATP singles players access to advanced match analytics all in one simple and intuitive platform. So uh, let's kind of get into the, the demonstration part of this. What are players actually seeing? What does this platform look like and what is it it bring them and uh i'm excited to kind of see a little bit behind the scenes here okay gil so what we've got here is the platform players arrive and they've all been sent unique player and coach login so james can speak to the detail but essentially it's um players and coaches have been sent their own login and they type that in nice and simple and then they arrive and then they arrive on a list of tournaments or if they want a list of live matches uh, are there any matches taking place now? Yeah, so you've got Stockholm, etc. So I can dig into one of the live matches in a minute. 
So if you're on a list of tournaments, and then very simple, you can either click on the tournaments. So if we click on Shanghai, and then we click on some recent matches such as Humbert um, and Rublev, then what you get met with is you get you you see the dashboard. You land on this, this is what we call our match center because it's all about an individual match that's taken place. I'll show you in a bit our scout area, which is what players can use to scout opponents and prepare for matches. This is a best in class tool for for live data coming in that coaches could use courtside or analysts could use courtside. So I'm sure you'll want to ask some questions about that in a minute, but also for match reviews. So instead of in the past when I was coaching, I either manually tag things or when I was working with some good players, I was fortunate to have some support from a governing body um, to, to do some of that tagging for us. But most of the time it's coaches manually tagging things or using analyst service. Now it's all done in real time. So it's coming in live and they can watch it live or as soon as the match finished, they can see all the data. So this is what we call our performance page, which has some of the brand new original insights on it, developed with uh, Tennis Fizz and, and Tennis Data Innovations. So you have right here, it's called In Attack. This is used as a broadcast graphic as well. And some people have seen it on social media and it shows, as it says here, the percentage of shots played in attack and neutral by both players. So in this match, despite Humbert being a very aggressive player, Rublev was the one that was able to be in attack more. Then you have uh, a range of battles here showing like the percentages of points won when the player was at the baseline or the player was at the net. Jump in at any time with any questions, obviously. Um, then over here, you have something called our performance rating, which is an overall score out of 10 of their, of their performance based on these other metrics that I'm going to show in a bit more detail today. You have a conversion score. Again, another new one. Conversion score is the percentage of points won once the player has been in attack. Because it's one thing to be the most aggressive player. But if you are the most aggressive player and you're not clinical when you're in attack, then you're obviously not as effective. Whereas if you can combine being in attack more and being clinical in attack, then you're in a really good place to win a tennis match. So in this match, Rublev was in attack in 38 points. And he won 29 of them, so he had a conversion score of 76%. And they're down with a conversion score of 59%. And then another feature of our platform, which is relevant here when I talk about that number, is 76%. And unless you've been sort of been following our social media or listening to the commentators on the world feed, you have no idea whether that's good or bad, because well, you have some idea if you're a astute tennis fan, but you don't you don't know that norm because even when I was coaching and I was very into this stuff, I didn't know the international norm for points one in attack for top 10 players, top 100 players. Whereas with this platform now we do. So that button I've just pressed, the pink line here is the tour average and the tour average is across 250 up to masters 1000s, all the, um, all the main draw matches for that. And the tour average is 66%. So a conversion score of 76% against a player like that is very good. And Humbert's is below that. And then you have the opposite. You have the steal score, which is the flip, which is the points won when you're in defence. So again, a steal score of 41% is very good because the tour average is 34%. So this, just in isolation, there's loads more. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll be conscious of speaking all the time but just in isolation this is part of the reason why Rublev won this match is he was attacking more than Humbert and he was doing it clinically so if you do that you win a recent number to throw at you is if you have a greater than five percent in attack percentage than the opponent and you are above average above tour average for the conversion score our analysts have run those numbers and you win the match 92 percent of the time across the tour so that adds some weight to why these metrics are also important for the players, because I'm not suggesting that that is good, necessarily great coaching advice to go out to the player and say, Hey, just attack more than him and attack well, because that, that that's not, that's not going to help you, but it is a great tool to look back and be able to say, well, you were higher than your own average there, or you were lower than your own average there. And then you dive even deeper into why, which is obviously important from the coaching. Yes. So, so the players will be seeing, seeing these metrics. I think the question that would be in most people's minds right now is, you know, how the, how in the world 
does this system know what's an attack and what's not an attack? So uh, are we ready to, to go there or do we want to look at a couple of other things before we get there? Uh, and, no. and shot quality, I'll, I'll also jump in, Tom. You see shot yeah. quality here, which is, in a way, it's very self-explanatory, right? You can look at it shot by shot by shot, and it, it says how well a player's shot performed. But it's also, uh, it's not a raw number. It's a number that has a lot of different, different um, variables kind of going into, and there's going to be a sense of, well, what does that mean, and how did we get to that number? Yeah, great. Yeah, I think it's a good time that I can speak to those two because once you understand what our technology is doing, that fuels several of the insights. Uh, so, yeah, and just to, just for clarity, shot quality is exactly that. It's a scale of 0 to 10, broken down serve, return, forehand and backhand. And it's aggregating, which I'll show you now, the speed, the spin, the depth, the width of every shot using the ball and player tracking data. And it's putting that all together, as you said, and giving every single shot a score. So if I go to a, um, a slide deck here, uh, rather than a, a video due to internet situations, what we're doing is on this thing here, Rude has been given a shot type, which is a backhand through the middle. So we've broken the game down for, in a both back situation into over 30 different shots, forehands and backhands being one, like, overall arching type but then you've got things like short slices drop shots angles drives down the line cross court like we've we've broken the game down to a really geeky level but you need that if you're going to then teach technology how to score these things accurately because a backhand short slice is obviously scored on very different parameters to a forehand control the middle like attacking forehand because obviously the norms of what is fast is completely different for those two different shots so we've done all the thinking uh that, that that covers a lot of the basis so it says it's a backhand through the middle it'll give you a spin rate and we know straight away it's a top spin backhand then when the ball lands which is key we're taking as i said the depth the width and the speed so with uh, and the spin rate on the ball which you saw in the previous clip and then we're also considering what we get from the ball and player tracking data which is the bounce angle because my backhand landing that in that exact spot with the same speed, depth, width, would be very different to Rafa's forehand landing in that spot that's kicking up at you like a mule. So um, we take the bounce angle in and we'll say that that backhand that Rude's hit there is a five out of 10 because most coaches' eyes or experienced tennis people's eyes would go, well, it's it's not a great shot. It's landed in the middle of the court. It doesn't have a high speed or spin rate particularly. And, and therefore it's a five out of 10. And then we see here Djokovic forehand inside in, more depth, more width, more speed, more spin. And then the technology would score that as an eight out of 10. And then as this rally would go on, that shot would be a seven and that shot would be an eight. But it's also important to understand that it's not when we display these clips and some people might have seen on social media recently, one of these clips went round with Alcaraz and Sinner, which is on the, the ATP media channel. And they, they used our data to show the clip. When when the shot quality is scored, it's not scored a straight eight. It's at decimal places in our model because the model also considers the quality of the incoming shot. So if I hit a nine off a nine, the algorithm gives that a boost because it's much harder to maintain the speed, the spin, the depth, the width off a really good shot than it is off like a sitting duck where I'm doing it. Likewise, you get a negative boost if you received a really slow ball in the middle of the court and you make uh, what, and you and you make an error that would have worse effect on your aggregated score in the match than uh, a, a a shot under pressure where you made a mistake. Is every miss a zero? How does it how does it interpret misses? It it, it is a zero. Every miss is a zero, but it well it isn't. It isn't because of what I've just said. Because right. if I make an error off a sitting ball for the match aggregation, it will. If we presented it in a social media graphic, it would present as a zero, the same as every miss would present as a zero. But in the match aggregation, it's not doing that. It's, it's, it's more complex than that. It's, it knows that that shot was, you had a higher probability of making that shot. So therefore you're effectively punished more for missing that shot. And that's it. That's a key point. And I'm talking a lot already uh, <laughs> about something that you can tell I'm into. Um, but I'm, um, 
model is very much based on win probability. So as we were developing the original shot quality scores, we're then running that through the system. And we know that if you hit an eight, nine or 10, and it is it works just like that, that you have a higher probability of winning those points because good shots cause you to win points and bad shots are zero. You have zero probability of winning the point if you make a zero. So that is also put into the mix. And then that's how we tweak the algorithm to be as accurate as it is. Can the players see like what of the raw uh, numbers can the players see, right? So let's say I want one aspect of shot quality would be depth. Let's say I just want average depth. Uh, can a player go into that detail and see, okay, was my backhand landing deep? They can see, uh, so as part of our match pay, match center, we have an area called court graphics. So it will show you things like the serve location to the point you've just made. It will show you rally placement, and then you can press backhand, and you could filter by set, or you could filter by serve plus one, for example. Obviously, that's reducing it. And then you can see the average that you hit in a certain zone. And then again, you can compare that to tour and player averages. So that's a really cool thing, we think, because it's like uh, one thing to say, like, Humber only hit 26% of his backhands in this deep zone in this match. But again, even as someone that's, I've been in tennis, and as you guys have for your whole lives, if I said to you, is that, is that good? You'd go, no. And I'd say, what's good? And you would look at me like that because you don't know, like if yeah. two meters from the baseline, what is good? Like, unless you've studied this stuff, some people do, but unless you've studied this stuff, you don't know. And even me, I live this, I don't remember those numbers, but I have a portal now that tells me that the tour average is 33%. His average is actually 34, but in that match, he was 26. So it's bad yeah. for him. Yeah. And, and part of that, right, if we can kind of make an amalgamation of what's happening, if he's not attacking as much, if he's defending more, his balls are landing shorter. You can kind of put the pieces together. I see three tabs here. We looked at performance. I just got you to get to court graphics. And then the third one is winning and losing plays. And I imagine this has something to do with which tactics are actually working and which are not. Exactly that. So it's it's showing two things. It's showing the most frequent frequent patterns of play that are having in the match. So that's the way we display it. So Humbert's hitting 49 forehand cross courts. This is after serve and return. So once you get ball three onwards. So he's hit 49 forehand cross court in that match. 25 backhand lines, 23 forehand lines, et cetera, broken down, including drop shots, short slices, backhands through the middle. So this is where the shot type that I said at the beginning comes in, like have a detailed system that shows it. And then what it's also doing is it's then showing where the winning and losing play part comes in is a winning play. Let's see what his, well, let's focus on Rublev because he won that match. So he's hit, uh, he's hit 32 backhands cross court, eight of them winning plays, eight of them losing plays. Now winning play, because we have, which I didn't show you, but because we've developed a system to know if someone's in attack, neutral or defense, we can then say if a backhand set up an attacking opportunity, because a big part of our methodology, now that we have great capturing data through the companies that supply that, is that we can provide data that's not just the last shot of the rally, which obviously you saw from the shot quality. So when you play, you might hit, but the example I always say is I might hit smoke a forehand down the line. It happens less to me, but some people might smoke a forehand down the line, come forward and put a forehand volley away. But it's the forehand down the line that did the damage, provided we're in like a neutral situation. That's the shot that made the difference in that point, not the forehand angle volley, which obviously is also important. But that forehand shouldn't be neglected because over the course of a match, that's what could be doing the damage. So that's what a winning play is. It's a shot that sets up an attacking opportunity and includes winners as well. Which is great because traditionally, tennis stats would suggest uh, you look at a net point one and you look at maybe winner type and it's a forehand volley winner and you completely lose the forehand down the line that actually created you the the opening and the easy finish. You completely lose that in traditional tennis statistics. Um, so so that that that's a big deal. Um, I think we're kind of by 
by looking at all of this and unpeeling it, it, it works towards answering this question already. But as these numbers start to come up and these metrics start to come up, not so much the winning and losing plays because that's a little bit easier to see. Uh, there's going to be, and Tom, I don't know if you've already seen this, you know, just with the social media accounts and such, there's going to be some skepticism because tennis fans are not used to numbers of this nature. And players as well might have, and coaches as well, might have certain skepticisms about these numbers and, you know, because they're used to trusting their eyes and making their own determinations about some of these things. What What is the process and what needs to be done to get trust, gain trust in these kinds of metrics? Well, I think that it's uh, a big part of it is things like this, is is education and understanding the science that's, is the tennis experience, the tech experience, and the science that's gone into creating these metrics. So a big part of, of gaining trust in the metrics is education of understanding the tennis intelligence and the tech intelligence and the science that's gone into creating it. So another example is how we create the phase of play. So how we create if someone's an attack neutral defense, because that's an easy one to go. Like if you put it out without education, well, who's deciding that? Like, like there's never been a system to decide whether someone's in attack, neutral or defense. And it's key to winning tennis matches. Uh, now, of course, the caveat to that is you can, of course, win if you're if you're in defense more. There's a lot of top players that have been in defense quite a lot and they're amazing at it and they win. So I'm not saying it's the only way. But what it's doing, again, to calculate that is it's taking the quality of the ball received. So part of the reason we developed a shot quality model was that we needed a good way of saying how good is that shot you're receiving? Because when you play tennis, if you're behind the baseline, it doesn't necessarily mean you're defending. And especially if you're these guys, like John, which is back here, he could be railing winners from back there because, yeah, anyway, so it's not just that simple. You're behind the baseline, you're defending, you're up the court, you're attacking because the analogy I always use is if you come to the net and Rafa stings one down at your toes, you're not attacking that volley you're probably defending neutral at best. So the quality of the ball receives important. The player's court positioning is also important, forward and back, left and right. And then we also take into account what we call the opponent displacement, which is his court positioning based to his ideal court positioning. Because if Fritz is out here right now, Djokovic is more likely to be, the, the system would deem him more likely to be an attack. But because he's there, he's in a neutral position. If I move these pictures along a little bit, on the next shot here, Djokovic has, um, Fritz has now hit a better quality shot. So he's hit a nine out of 10. Djokovic is further from the baseline. Fritz is closer to the baseline. We also know from the tracking data uh, where the contact point of the ball is and where the center of the mass of the human is. And that goes into the algorithm and it shows that he's in defense because all those things put together is in defense. So, and that's been tested with a lot of top uh, coaches and players and developed by us who understand the game. And therefore, education is, I think, our, our number one tool to get people to understand. Because once you see this, you go, all right, yeah, that is defence. That was neutral. That is attack. And the system's doing that on every single shot. And I suppose the last thing I'll say on this is that because it's technology-driven, it's consistent. So even if there were some debates where you and I or a, a, a better, more experienced coach than me said, no, Tom, you've missed the trick. That's actually neutral. You might think it's defense, but because of this, I'd go, that's that's fine. And we might agree, miss we might disagree on a few, but it's always consistent. So then the output for the players are consistent. Um yeah. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. not going to be biased by by who the player is, right? You might be watching Stroof and everything looks like attack, but the computer doesn't know that. Um, and I was impressed, Tom, when you showed this to me um, a little while back at the the precise measurements of the ball in relation to the body. I mean, those small details uh, I think are are essential and also just so so indicative of attack neutral defense like the contact point is very very telling more often than not so i love that that's included and it's something that i i wouldn't have known that it was possible to track 
the movements of the ball and the body and the racket in that kind of detail in order to do something like this. So, um, so it's amazing technology. And, uh, I think we've gotten kind of a, a good look at it, but, um, I imagine this is still a work in progress. James, if you want to jump in here, you, you may as well, uh, before we kind of talk about the decision to, to open this up to, to all players, um, I want to ask about kind of what the plan is for the future, right? Like, is this something that once it's built, you just kind of leave it alone and it does its job, or is it something that is constantly being worked on to, uh, to improve? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, I mean, yeah, just to go back to the previous point as well, I think the great thing about working with Tom and the guys at Tennis Viz, obviously it has been at NFTDIs, they understand tennis. And essentially what they're trying to do is to validate all the feelings that players have. So, you know, you know, when you play a good forehand, you know, when you played a good match and obviously having people who have been, you know, living tennis for years on end, developing this has kind of really helped that. So for us, it actually becomes really easy, the education piece to tell players actually they look at it and they know it checks out because they know how they perform during their game and they can kind of say well hang on yeah that actually that just passes the common sense test in a way because there's a lot of complex technology that we don't really get into that into with them but at the end of the day it's you know top line yes exactly this is what i thought of my match sometimes you know maybe there's a little bit of variety but overall you know yes this makes sense as soon as you have that trust it's very easy to to you know to buy into it effectively as for, you know, where we're heading with this, yeah, absolutely. We're kind of, obviously, this has been now a month that they've had access to these to these metrics. We've had really positive feedback across the board, which has been, which has been great. I think, uh, obviously, we're asking various questions as to, you know, what would you like to see more of, less of, what are you using most? I think the guys, you know, obviously have also metrics on the back end that they can see what players are clicking on. But uh, we certainly have a kind of a broader, longer term strategy of support tennis IQ, you know, incorporating video and various analytics to, you know, essentially make it available to more, even more players. So at the moment, as Tom mentioned earlier, earlier on is to 250, to ATP 250s, 500s and 1000s. At the moment, player and board tracking technology is not available on the challenge at all due to, you know, logistical or technological, um, you know, developments that are required. But something that certainly won't expand at that level as well. We have 200 challenger events. So, you know, to be able to provide this service, even so to the players ranked 200 to 500 in the world competing at those events is something that we really see, you know, providing them with the tools to develop their game and actually compare themselves to the top 10 players, top 100 players. That's just never been done before because they just haven't been able to compete week in, week out at that level. Maybe they get the occasional practice, but kind of for a guy around 400, okay, I know I'm hitting my forehand 6.7 out of 10. I know Novak hits at 8.8 on average. Okay, I and then hopefully we can get into the detail of, okay, he's more width, more depth, and more speed on his forehand. So, uh, yeah, if, if we are able to provide those tools, you know, to those players, especially, you know, they may not be traveling with a coach week in, week out. So it's really for us about kind of creating a level playing field so that everyone have access and kind of here are the tools, use them to the best of your ability. And that doesn't mean, you know, you can have your coaches and you can, you know, work with your coaches on those metrics, but certainly that's where, that's our goal with, uh, you know, with the platform. And then overall broader goals, as I said, to kind of develop this further, to have access to, you know, if you do hit, um, you know, you can see the winning plays, you can click on the winning plays that takes you to the four clips that might be then you get, then it becomes really exciting for us to be able to do that and for players to just have this suite of tools to go yes i can really work on my game have a better understanding of my game you know tom mentioned it's uh you know used to tag all the matches manually um same thing skipping between the points to be able to watch a match in 25 minutes rather than two hours you know trying to skip 15 seconds between points like it it just makes it so much easier for our coaches as well so you know it's at the end of the day we all want to see better tennis and we actually do believe that this is this will elevate performance. And we also believe that it has a role to play, you know, court side as well, to, or court side in the player boxes to be able to provide sort of guidance to the players now that coaching is allowed or being trialed on, on tour. So yeah, we're really, uh, really excited about this. And obviously that's before we even start talking about kind of the fan facing pieces and how, as you mentioned, you know, the language of tennis has been very consistent for a long time. Can we introduce some of the new things that just especially if you're a first time, you know, watcher of the sport, you know, you haven't had much tennis experience to make it really easy to understand what a player's strengths are, where they've improved over time for us to be able to deliver that, I think, to the fans, but also kind of yeah, to players. Those are kind of two key pieces that we're trying to work on over time. 
Yeah, I think the video aspects can can take it to a, a really incredible level. Like I, I have you have my mind just imagining like, oh, I hit seven backhand slices cross court and I can just see all seven and what happened and how it played out. Uh, that's an incredible tool. I'm thinking about how much easier uh, analyzing matches after they happen would be if I could pick out a tactic and just watch every point in which it in which it actually uh, was executed. So um, that's incredible. I, I want to dig deeper into like the motivation of, yes, you know, improving the level and giving this to this tool to, to everyone, because I, I don't know, like you, you didn't have to do this, right? The tour didn't have to do this. It could have just been, okay, everybody has their data coaches and they're, they're figuring it out on their own. And you know, that's not our problem. And, and what does it matter? Right. But instead it's no, we actually want to create a platform where every player can have access to great data and great analytics. Like what, what really was the motivation if you can go further into that? Yeah, I think, I think it was, it was to yeah, create a level playing field to have everyone to have access to the data and be able to learn and develop their, their skill set based on that. We have the access and yeah, we had a few conversations internally, definitely. And it was a, pretty easy uh you know decision you know come to the end of it because we you know we really wanted to you know we didn't want a guy on 200 to not view someone's matches just because of their you know what the ranking being a barrier or the tournaments they're playing being a barrier it should actually be the players that at the moment you know are you know ranked 200 250 in the world who haven't maybe played as many atp tour events they can still view you know other players matches and go actually that this is where i have to get to and then hopefully when they do compete at two three four tour level matches they can go oh that's really where i compare this is where i have to improve right so that was a big piece for us i mean we you know when we first started this process we started providing raw player and ball tracking data to players before we obviously you know start with the dashboard and tennis iq and that was very much your own data from your own matches only because obviously again not all players would have access to analysts and would have that kind of access to the resources that would help them with the so you know summarize summarize or visualize that data and kind of helping them understand it so for us, yeah, it's really a, about providing all players with equal opportunity to 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 learn and yeah, gain an insight into their into their own performance, but also their opponents' of performance. I think you see other sports what they're doing. I think you know it's uh yeah, everyone's learning, everyone's scouting, everyone's you know doing those things anyway. For us to be able to again simplify things, save time to coaches, you know, making them understand it better the sport better, and actually probably you know sometimes make them realize things that they probably didn't pick up on. Um, you know, we had a couple of examples at Next Gen where we trialed some of the some of the analytics where in match coaches were picking up on things that they wouldn't necessarily pick up on if they didn't have the because we have the tablet in the player boxes. So again, those are really, you know, interesting examples. Also, then you know, points become maybe a little bit more interesting for fans because the becomes a bit more strategic and tactical. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, that that's what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to, you know, make the product more interesting increase excitement and jeopardy during matches and you know tell a different story as well tennis is still you know we've told a very a great story it's a very historical sport but can we add to it you know can we elevate the product over time i think that's our goal and really starting to focus on that through the use of technology which obviously we're through tdi and what they're you know implementing across the tour with the player and ball tracking to be able to have that at our disposal and not to use it would you know would be would be silly so we want to maximize that maximize maximize the usefulness for our players for our tournaments as well you know showcasing these metrics in stadia social media but then also yeah as i said you know fans are at the core of our sport they always have been they what you know they, they're the ones that buy the tickets they're the ones that watch us on tv we really need to make the game more accessible and easier to understand and i think the shot quality is like the perfect example it doesn't matter if you're a football fan a cricket fan you see okay Mike you, that guy's one's 8.5 that guy's 7.6 you know which one's better it's very sense then you know what to look for so yeah that's how that that's where that's where it came from and that's what yeah that's what we're going you know, I think we're going to continue or we are going to continue with this approach yeah it's great it's a great thing uh Tom you've been a coach uh you understand what it used to be like trying to get smart analytics uh on tour what's the future for for people who have made a livelihood uh working with tennis players to provide them good data because a lot of players i i'm i'm well aware a lot of players on tour have hired people specifically to help them with that 
How does their role change? Those analysts have become experts in their field. And what we're doing with this platform is providing them good quality data to analyze. So it's not like a tool is going to help people win tennis matches clearly in isolation. First of all, how good you are at the sport is, is how much you win the isn't how much you win tennis matches. This is this is making marginal difference and helping your training plans, etc. But the analysts will be taking the platform. They will get used to it very quickly if they want to, and they will then be able to feed the coaches or the players nuggets that will make the difference from it. So we don't see it as we see it as enhancing what they're offering. It's actually changing the industry. It could potentially change the industry to make more roles in analytics because you don't have to spend the hours tagging the matches. You've got a lot of the data there. And then when video is bought in, you've got endless opportunities to watch video and different patterns of play, et cetera. And then you pick out what's going to make the difference for your player versus a particular opponent. And that's, and that's a skill that analysts have that they can create even more opportunities. And of course, some coaches do that themselves and always have done. And, and there's varying different involvements of analysts on the tour. Right. But this doesn't replace the analysis. It's it's providing the material for the analysis to be done um, is, is kind of what I'm hearing there. Um, exactly. What about what about everybody else? You know, kind of expanding from, okay, players have this, Coaches have this. There are a lot of tools like a, a KenPalm.com that gives all these advanced analytics for college basketball. Uh, baseball has has a lot of stuff available. If I want to see the average launch angle, uh, which is the angle that comes off of a player's bat over the season for any player, I can I can see that. For tennis, there's a little bit less. So I guess the the question is when as it pertains to this technology is why not just open season anybody in the world can see it either of you can answer i'll stop james do, do, uh, I, I think it's a it's i think it's moving in that direction gil is the short answer so if you watch the atp world feed you you see some of the shot quality scores conversion scores steel scores come out you see the commentators if you're watching the world feed talk to them on on tennis tv so that's happening the social media channels, the main ATP channels are using the data, so it's coming. Of course, not every single match, every single data point, because no one wants that, but they're bringing the highlights to, to the fans. Not no one wants that. There's some people like me that do, but not, <laughs> not everyone wants that. Um, so it's coming. And then in terms of across sites where people can access, it's very much part of the roadmap. It's just none of these things uh, are... Um, straightforward overnight like switch it on type um of things there's lots of and i'll pass to james now but there's lots of effort energy and situations that have to align to 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 bring it completely to the public and then yeah. and then and then it goes to james sorry and this goes past james what they want to give to the public because some of this stuff at the higher level analytics may not be for the public because it is a, a player and tool the same way that arsenal don't put I'm talking British stuff, but Arsenal don't put all of their detailed football analytics online for everybody to read. They select what goes into the public's like, sphere. That's okay. Now we're even. I got baseball in, you got football in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James, I waffled. I'll get cricket in and then we're, we're good. <laughs> no, I, uh, um, yeah, so I, th I think, yeah, there are a couple of points there. I think the obviously technology has been around for a long, for that long on the, you know, especially the, you know, the quality we needed to be at. There's a lot of happening in a tennis match, right? If you saw the, the, the different data points that Tom went through, there's 30 different metrics that, you know, that you could debate on that had to be thought through and probably arrived there, you know, 12 to 18 months and they probably still getting tweaked and, you know, we're not still fully there. And I'm sure there are metrics that we can still continue to develop. So now that we've established at least the core base of what we're trying to deliver, it's also about serving the, you know, as Tom mentioned, the hardcore tennis fans or him or yourself to kind of, who want to get stuck in, really want to know line by line. I want to know everything that you have. But then also I think the little bit trickier part, especially with tennis being, you know, 
it is is not the easiest sport to understand. Our scoring system is quite difficult. You know, you know, I, I bring some of my friends who you never know, played tennis to Wimbledon and like of what's 30-15. I don't understand why is it not just two one? Like you know, so you you, you was, we've got a few barriers of entry into into our sport to understand, especially for younger kids, unless you've played it from a young age. So what are the metrics that we actually want to show to fans who are maybe trying to get into it at the age of 20, 25? Like really trying to, you know, have what story we're trying to tell. And I think, you know, the shot quality does that, but we still got kind of need to define those two very different strategies, right? Because you're trying to do completely different things for both sets of fans. So, you know, we kind of really, and that's something that we're working on. And, you know, you'll see, you'll see our next gen event, which is in uh, in November, you know, we'll be looking to do even more of that to tell this story, not only through, you know, a lot more through social media, but also in the stadium using different tools um, and some of these insights. So I think we're, we're taking the step in that direction. We'll most certainly are, as I said, it's yeah. just more of a timeline process. There's a lot of technical requirements that go within that and, uh, and actually selecting, you know, that targeted strategy to those two sets of fans that we really want to a educate about the sport and give them, you know, very easy understanding of it and B to kind of the really in-depth insights and how far we want to go to show that. So yeah, we're, we're, we're well on our way uh it's just needs to yeah it's a it's a will take you know a few months uh or a, you know being optimistic maybe a little bit longer but uh <laughs> certainly you know i think in 12 to 18 months time tennis will be yeah uh, you know we'll have a lot more data the easier one but also the more of more of the insights accessible to the to, to fans which i think is a is a really good thing and will be on par with with some of the other sports that's exciting i i honestly i wasn't expecting that answer but i know how much fans uh, can be engaged through these kinds of things. Um, something like a top top 20 leaderboards for shot quality on the year, right? Something like that, for example, like that's going to get people talking and get people engaged. Um, and, you know, I, I try to do it as best I can with, with what's available to me, uh, doing a show every week and trying to explain the outcomes of tennis matches in a way that are going to, you know, make tennis fans kind of see the game differently. So, uh, you know, I'm, I also, of course, understand that there are business aspects to it and it's not, it's not uncommon for uh, certain information to be, you know, reserved for insiders and, and not made available to outsiders, but, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be really happy um, with, with whatever we're able to see and already great progress has been made with stuff like second screen and, and, and Infosys uh, stuff that's available at the masters 1000 level and all that. So. I would, I would also add to that. I think, you know, this is again, a relatively new area for us as was mentioned, we're always looking for feedback as well. So if, you know, it's your audience and stuff, I'm sure there are ways to you know get in touch with you. And obviously now that, you know, it's very good for us to understand what is actually seeing from a broadcast standpoint, from a fan standpoint, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, you know, we're always, yeah, looking to, to, you know, how is, you know, how, how are the metrics that we're showing kind of hitting, are they hitting the mark or are they not? Are they too complex? Are they easy to understand? Um, so there's always that element of that. We get certain level of that through just looking through comments and stuff as well, but always, if there is anything, we're always open to suggestions and feedback. And, uh, and that's a nice segue, Gil, if you don't mind, just to plug for the, the socials, but if fans want to, see highlights of the data appear across social media then our channels at tennis insights uh on instagram and twitter show and then like i said before this post is actually put out by tennis tv social media after cinema one just with a simple this was a shot quality scores in the final versus medvedev because they were special like across the board often you'll get like you know from tennis, people with high serve quality, for example, but maybe other things, but he maintains such high level, then that goes out across their their channels and our channels will bring you like highlights like Hubie's serve in the final was unbelievable. And there's a 9.5 for all the things I've talked about before. So you get you get highlights and then you also can get on that channel. Um we're about we're about to post this about Hubie, uh, which is a lot of data on a graphic, but like I was saying before, some graphics will just be, well, he, this is his scores. And then for the deeper fan, you get something that explains all of his shot quality scores for all of his matches and what was so exceptional about that performance. 
and 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 his average surf speed across the performances in this graphic and the higher than his 52 week average way higher than the tour average etc and these things will be surfaced via social media um so some of it is coming uh, uh and uh, yeah yeah James. and and these are great numbers to kind of outline uh something that maybe you would expect which is that Hercotch is he's always an exceptional server but even by his standards uh he exceeded his average level every single match over the course of of shanghai i mean the serve was was absolutely red hot um and and i love seeing the the speed averages and you know along yeah. with percent in it's great he, he, yeah to go one minute on on him that serving display of across that that 12 days across the six matches I don't think it can get much better, like in terms of history. I know that I'm prepared to get uh, some some of your fans come at me here. What are you talking about? Pete Sampras, Andy Roddick, Goran Izvinovic, all the great servers. Of, and, and I'm not saying he's a better server than them. I'm just saying that in that in those across those 12 days, he served 72% first serves. His average speed was 129, 103 for second serve. His average accuracy was, was, was lower than tour average. He hit two double faults across six matches. Um, that that's exceptional. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the things. And while we're on him, just to show, because this this data is the kind of thing you can get from Tennis IQ easily, is that what was, which would probably surprise you a bit more, is his forehand was very good in Shanghai. Compared to his level, his average 52-week is 7.3 for his forehand quality. The tour average is 7.5. So despite his level of play, his forehand quality is below the tour average. But in that tournament, it was 8.2. And that's because he made 5% more. One of the reasons is he made 5% more of his forehands across that tournament, averaged 87% in compared to 82, which I know it's like 5%. So what? That makes a massive difference. Huge. Yeah. And, and then he changed direction. More often, he averages 43% down the line. He did 51%. And he maintained the same speed. And his forehand winning plays down the line, it was a winning play, even against some of the best ground strokers that he played. Rublev, his forehand down the line was a winning play, which you don't look at Hubie, people that follow tennis, and go, well, that's going to be a game-changing shot, like his forehand line. But it was. So, And all of that info, going back to the platform, is in somewhere we would call the scout area where you can click on his name and then you can select those matches. Oh, sorry. You select those matches just from Shanghai. I could have done that quicker with the filters. And then you get his scores from Shanghai and then you can see his winning and losing plays, the things I've just talked about. So there's his forehand line, how often he hit it. You can see his average ground stroke speed and in score and speed and compared to his player average and the tour average and the graphic and everything. So the scout area is where the coaches and players can review, like I've just done on Hubie to go like, this is how good it was if I was coaching him. What have we, and then obviously what the coaches are doing is what were the process we put in place to get the outcomes. That's the key coaching bit, but they've got facts of the outcomes that they never used to have. Um, and also when you're scouting him, you start to watch out for that if he keeps doing it that well. Love it. Um, oh, you know, I did want to see, Tom, if you could go back to the screen. I want to. I did want to see on the, the performance so tracker. The, the performance, the performance tracker. tracker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so this was the... This is the performance tracker. It's brand new. It's actually come on social media. So this is one. It's come to the fans before it's come to the players. It's coming to the players literally this week, James, uh, but it's it's tracking, I showed you at the beginning, that overall performance rating, which is a score out of 10, which is based on, as I put in this post, it's based on the in-attack conversion, steel score, and the shot qualities all put together to create a performance rating. And then once you've got a performance rating, you can see how that fluctuates throughout the match. So that is what this is showing, and it's going to be on the players' portal uh, very, very soon. Um, and then did you have a question about it? Sorry, I'm right. No, no, I, I just wanted, because I saw it on the page, um, and I just wanted to highlight it. I think it's very cool. I think it can go a long way in informing us in an objective way on a lot of the arguments that that we tend to have after a match, such as a big upset, right? Like if 
I think the best example this year is when you have an example of Carlos Alcaraz losing to Fabian Marojan. And the big debate is, did Alcaraz play down to a sub top 50 level or did Marojan play up to a top 10 level? And this kind of thing can help us answer these questions. Now, it's fun to debate, right, without just having a number that that gives us the answer and that we can just end end the discussion right there. It's also, I think, good to have a number that can that can help us out here. Yeah, and you could disagree with the number. Sure. Of course, people can. So you can we can show that Alcaraz dived and it wasn't about Marjan. It was about Alcaraz. I'm not saying that was. I'd have to look the match up. But exactly. Right. That's what it's cool, right? That's why we created it was because we were like, well, this is a tour average. This is his average. And then this match shows that they were both playing at a high level. And that's created by those shot quality scores, which when people say it, take into account winners and unforced errors. So if you if you do hit a lot of unforced errors, it will affect your your score. So it takes everything in and and, and they're playing a high level. But then they fluctuate because this point, Rublev being the blue line, was not playing a high level towards the end of the first set, but then shot up at the beginning of the second set. So he's going down here from the scores of four from a like 3-2 down, he loses a set 6-3, his level was dropping, but then the beginning of the second set, he he, he lifted his level, whereas Hubie was more steady, as you can see. Some fluctuation, but more steady. Okay, so just a couple more here, and then and then we'll wrap things up. You guys have been very generous with your time. Um, you mentioned, Tom, you can disagree with the number. Well, I'm curious, from from your perspective, as, as someone who is uh, is watching these matches and watching this data, all the time during the Masters 1000 tournaments, especially all the time. Uh, how often are you are you disagreeing or, or, or are you not aligning with what you're seeing and what the numbers are saying? And, and how do you interpret that? Because I know that you know you're a critical thinker when it comes to tennis. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And it's a good point, and I think that the thing, because I un- understand the workings of it, I don't. Uh, disagree with I know what's going on basically but one of the ways I'll disagree is sample size makes a big difference so for example Alcaraz starts a match sometimes he won't be the most consistent player at the beginning of the match so he'll miss a bunch of forehands while he's finding his range or whatever strategy he's working on with his with with Juan Carlos and his forehand score might be low I don't think he's got a bad forehand for a second I think he's got one of the greatest forehands in the game right now and maybe ever if you want to go down that conversation. So I'll disagree with the number when it says that his forehand might be around a five or a six. But I also understand the logical reason why our system is scoring at that because even if he's hit a bunch of good ones, if he's put five into the tram line, then it's going to score him low at that stage. But then as the match goes on, it then tends to come back to my perception and everyone else's perception and then, which I just showed you with Hubie, as it goes across the season, then it's going to align with my perception all the time. And with people that have had the education, they start to go, oh, yeah. And as James said at the start, the players know often better than anyone. Like the fact the, the, the broadcaster or someone might say, oh, you hit your four and great. And they're thinking, no, I didn't. For the first four games, I was spraying it all over the place. And then the score says... It was actually a seven point five, which is tour average, and they'd be like, "Yeah, that's about right." Yeah, but had a but and, where it was bad, and the and the system's tracking that, right? And then and then our work is okay. This was how the forehand performed. Well, why? And and that is kind of that extra step. Um, we have our starting point, but now it's about interpretation and philosophy, and kind of reading the game and piecing things together. Um, Let's end on this kind of a fun one. And I want I want to get both of your your takes on it. James, first you, the traditional stat page, we get first serves in, first serves one, second serves one, winners, unforced errors, I'll say net points one. Um, double faults, aces, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's kind of your traditional stat page. 
now that we're trying to kind of push this forward a little bit and get a little bit smarter about what's happening in tennis, how would you reform that stat page? What are, I, obviously there might be, this might be a long answer, but what are some of the things that maybe you'd take out, maybe you'd replace them with kind of other uh, metrics? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I actually think we're on the right path with what we're doing. So I would actually replace a lot, you know, as some of those things. Um, or, you know, I, I would probably say actually it depends how far we want to push it. But if we really want to make a statement, quite a lot of them with the shot quality at the start specifically, because I think that is such an easy thing to understand. And when you get into in attack steel score, I think that does require a little bit of explanation, understanding of tennis and how that works. And someone probably has to give you a bit of a background as to, oh, this is what that actually means, your steel score or conversion score. Um, so I think, you know, that's, so I would really kind of at the start, and then we can start introducing some additional ones. I would actually probably take it a little bit further. And I mean, it'd be good to get your perspective on this as well as a player walks on court and we show age, we show titles, we show prize money. Is that what you want to be seeing when the, the player first walks on court? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We haven't done that research, but is it, would you rather know the comparison of the player forehands, backhands, serves, returns to actually know, okay, I know I've got to watch out. This guy's got eighth best forehand on the tour based on shot quality. That is really what I want to know. So yeah, that's kind of, I think it actually is a whole, you know, there's the in-stadium experience when you're watching what's coming up on the big screen. And then also on TV, when a player walks on, you've got the player bio that comes up. Is that is that what the fan wants to be seeing? I think there are a few things that we need to start challenging our sort of you know perceptions and just kind of what we've done for a very long time. So it's a kind of a, a little bit of a you know open and not a concrete answer, but I think we really have to be brave and something that we're going to try and do at next gen this year to try and actually do change some some of the things. I'm not sure about the broadcast side of things, but certainly in Stadia and on our social media channels, the way we present the players, that will be a yeah, we'll look to change some of those some of those metrics because I think, yeah, to 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 your point, we we need to kind of relate to the, the fans a little bit more on that front. Sure. I mean I'll I'll jump in and and say I, I think both are are helpful and useful. Like I, I do want to know if this player was 120 in the world a year ago and now they're 40 in the world. I also want to know something about their game and and how they play. Um, and it's often something that you might talk about with with your analyst during the warmups. Okay, uh, what does this person do well? And what have you been seeing uh, this week or in their wins? Um, it, that is something you're right. Graphically, there is no indication of style, strengths, weaknesses in that kind of let's introduce the players during warmups kind of phase. Uh, that's it's a good thought. I, I like that thought. Tom? Yeah, uh, a plug of ours. I won't get the screen up again, but if you follow the socials, as we have a, a thing called a player card, which is exactly that, like from yeah. a top trumps card, like James is talking about how the players match up, who's got the stronger forehand across 52 weeks. Um, so, yeah, I'd like that. I mean, we that's part of the reason that that our company and the technology got created was because the, the mainstream stats haven't changed for 30 years, which doesn't mean they're not good because they are good, but we just saw there's an opportunity to add something else. So to answer your question, if I could design my perfect stats page, I'd have a bit of both and I would, um, yeah. and I have thought about it a lot, but I'm not going <laughs> to make you guys sit through which data point I put on it right now, but it would be, it would be a combination of the two is the short story. I and I really like, and this is a plug, but I really like the tracker. And I think that has a great space in the broadcast world for like the end of sets, like you say, a review is that you're essentially doing what the tracker is doing anyway. Like the analyst will sit there most of the time and go, yeah, they played great in this patch, had a slower patch at that point, and then finish really strong at the end. And that's what the tracker's putting in front of them and then you can point to a bit more detail but they served great in this period and they weren't winning points in defense in this period or they were or whatever so they're, they're, there's a lot of possibilities with what we can do with that stuff yeah you're right i think a lot of the stats are are good in in the traditional page right you wouldn't want to not see first serve points one second serve points one right you wouldn't want to get rid of that stuff um it, it it tells a, a huge story. And at the end of the day, the goal is to win the point. Uh, now you go further and you talk about stuff like how. Um, I, I just think some tweaks can be made. For example, why am I seeing aces just give me serves unreturned? Like that that's just a smarter number. 
it's going to tell me more. Uh, maybe I'd like to see both, right? Uh, Aces is interesting as well, but I, I certainly want to see unreturned serve percentage. I think that's that's essential. Um, I I certainly want to see the rally length breakdown um, of of who's winning the short points, who's winning the long points, and I. I, winners on unforced errors versus errors. That's probably the most interesting one. There's a lot of debate about that, even in the tennis world of how are we doing unforced errors and why are we doing unforced errors? Is there such thing as an unforced error? I have an opinion. We don't need to debate it right now. But um, what about like if we just made it like forehands percent in, backhands percent in, like wouldn't that be better than than uh, an unforced errors number that includes double faults, that includes a missed overhead. It, it doesn't. It doesn't actually pinpoint what's happening. So you know, I think there's a there's a lot of tinkering and and discussion to be had about all of this. Uh, but it's really exciting that we have this to to look at and and this amazing technology uh, to kind of give us those those ideas and uh, give us a good starting point. So. Um, James, Tom, thank you so much for coming on Monday Match Analysis. I think people are going to really enjoy this. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Gil. Thanks a lot. Thanks, James.